Well, hello and welcome to episode 29 of It's Never Sunny in Seattle, a Seattle Mariners podcast. I am Evan James, joined today by Michael Ahedo, and it's been a pretty busy week for the team as they've fallen three games further back in the wildcard race after two pretty rough series against the Diamondbacks and the Red Sox in which they went two and four. Um, we also have some news. Should we tell everyone about Andy first and foremost, I guess? Yeah, I guess that's a good idea. And Anders. <laughs> oh, true, true. Um, why don't you tell everyone about Andy? So Andy has, let's see, we're on episode 29. Andy has been here since number two. Uh, I actually would need to go back and look at what exactly he's doing. I know it's a Zags locked on thing, but um, he is doing a daily thing now. So um, he won't be, you know, he has less availability. So um, Anders, who was on last week, is going to step in. And I think we're going to dissolve Clubhouse nap time, which means more free time for me. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think starting next week, Durs will be joining us and Andy is available whenever um, as a guest, I told him. So I'm sure we'll have him on at some point, but he's a very busy boy. Yeah, obviously, we're pretty excited for Andy. Uh, that's a, a big step up. He's going to be doing daily content. Is that right? Or like at least every couple of days. So it's gonna yeah. Be- much more accelerated than I guess the timeline that you and I operate on right now. For right. This. Yeah. Um, but that's really cool. And uh, it's exciting to have Durs on our podcast. Um, obviously he's, you know, a member of lookout landing. And so we're all familiar, but um, you know, it's always good to just have more people and more opinions and more perspectives on here. And uh, so it should be a good time. He was super fun last week. So um, I'm excited. Yeah. Um, but I guess we'll dive into the first thing, which is that the big news of the week, I guess, is twofold. One is that the Mariners renewed the contract with 710, which is a smaller deal, but is, I guess, a big news in terms of the way the sport is delivered to the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, but more importantly, they have announced that the Mariners will host the 2023 All-Star Game. Um, I very much remember 2001 and that All-Star Game and just the whole era around it. Do you remember any of that, Mikey? Where you're, like, What was your memory of that? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the year, well, I remember a lot of baseball, but that was the best time to be a Mariners fan for sure. Um, So, I don't know, a lot of my fondest memories are obviously from 2001. Um, Definitely remember, you know, seeing, man, we must have had seven guys, I think, go to the the All-Star game that year. so it was it was pretty special. Um, I I kind of hope you know that they build a a competitive serious roster that um, you know by the time people come here we have a competitive team and we're looking like even more of a playoff team because right now it's kind of like we're faking our way into it. Um, by twenty twenty three, I I hope. Uh, we're not faking it. <laughs> yeah, I saw something on Twitter about um, the talent level in our organization is set to crest in the major leagues between 2022 and 2023 is kind of when everyone should be here. The George Kirby's, Brandon Williamson's, Hancock's of the world. Um, so that's pretty exciting. That's a good timeline for us. you know. And like you said, ideally, this would be synchronic with the team being good and the team having playoff aspirations and being kind of the toast of baseball which they sort of were at moments this season, um, you know, in, in very limited context, I think with the Dylan Moore grand slam and some other moments, uh, they were really kind of like the darlings of the sport. Um, 
and Scott Service has obviously gotten some recognition for manager of the year for that same reason because of you know the overperformance and just the way they've hung in it given the relatively modest expectations for the team. Um, so it's exciting. And I'm very excited for the All-Star game because I'm hoping they bring the uniforms back. And the 2001 All-Star game jerseys are my absolute favorite. Uh, the emerald green for the AL and then they have the red ones for the National League. Um, they're just very iconic to me, not just because that was the year the Mariners obviously were so good, but I just think they're a super fresh color scheme that meshes pretty well with the Mariners iconography. And I'm hoping they bring it back. They might not. I don't think it's up to Kevin Mathers, but I've been tweeting at him already about this. I will continue to tweet at him about this for the next two years. Um, so he should get used to that. But uh, yeah, I think this is pretty cool. Um, do you have any like particular favorite things from that All-Star game? I remember the home run derby uniforms as well were pretty cool. Uh, so there are just a couple of things for me that are iconic from that era. Do you have anything else specific you remember kind of? Uh, not really. I'm like even pulling up who went. Um, I mean, at the time, each era was my like absolute favorite. Um, it was super cool because there wasn't very much like Asian representation in uh, MLB at the time. And, you know, I'm not Japanese, but it's like the closest approximation of like someone who looks like me represented on the baseball field. Uh, did Brett Boone hit in the home run derby? Don't recall if Brett Boone did. I can look it up real quick. Yeah, I don't, I don't either. So uh, honestly, yeah, I don't, I don't have a, a super clear recollection of, uh, what happened, but I do remember it being a good game. Um, so yeah, I don't know. And just, you know, that we had so many representatives was, um, and obviously at home was pretty cool. Okay, so I have the 2001 Home Run Derby roster pulled up here. It's Luis Gonzalez, Sammy Sosa, Jason Giambi, Barry Bonds, Brett Boone, Todd Helton, Alex Rodriguez, and Troy Gloss. So that's that is pretty cool. Wild. <laughs> uh, let's see. Brett Boone didn't make it out of round one. He only hit three home runs. Uh, that's That's got to be the greatest Home Run Derby uh, roster of all time. Right? It's sure up there. That's a young A-Rod too. A very young A-Rod, a young Brett Boone who both don't get out of the first round. Uh, Troy Gloss doesn't hit a single home run. That's, a, <laughs> that's, wild. that's wild. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, it was it was fun year. Uh, and uh, I, I remember one thing that I remember from the game is uh, Cal Ripken was, was nearing the end and he play he came out as a shortstop and then i think he went back to third base something like that um so that was pretty cool i'm glad you brought up ichiro too because i feel like the the all-star game was kind of his introduction to the league in a lot of ways because he had set the world on fire coming out batting you know 360 or whatever for his first couple of months with the mariners Mm -hmm. Uh, but a lot of people just because the mariners are kind of a niche team and the sport hadn't seen him yet or had kind of heard the legend of it but hadn't gotten a chance to kind of experience ichiro um Mm -hmm. and he you know hit one of his classic singles and stole second um as he did in many all-star games frankly that was you know his whole thing um So that's pretty cool. That's a that's a really special time, obviously, for us Mariner fans. I recall this very vividly because, oh, man, where was it? Uh, one of the grocery stores or something gave away a VHS. We had talked about this in the Slack a couple oh, of yeah. weeks ago. 
like the the 2001 greatest <laughs> season of all it's, time VHS. The one that I have is called Sweet 116, and I got it from Lowe's. Of yes, all okay, yeah, from yeah, from the hardware <clears> store. <throat> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's on YouTube, so it's one of those quintessentially 2001 like things, so to speak. Um, just it it feels very of the era. It's uh, and it's also just cool that you can hear Dave Niehaus, you know, so much plastered all over it. So true. Yeah, it's it's a pretty good one. Very true. Um, well, why don't we pivot some of this nostalgia into where we're at with the team currently? Uh, do we want to look forward first or do we want to talk about maybe some good stuff? Preview your Johan article. Where do you want to go with it? I think the more, you know, immediate things. OK, let's talk about I guess we'll go right to segment two. Well, the return of Jake Fraley and you had written up Jake Fraley, obviously, earlier this season. We've looked at him a couple of times. Seemingly coming back from three or four different injuries now. Um, but Marmo got DFA'd. Uh, how do you feel kind of about this exchange? And are you looking for anything specific from Jake over the next 15 games or so? Health is one. Um, it was brought up in the the Slack that he has been. I, I still even like don't even know that I would call him injury prone. I think we throw around that label too much, but he has missed more time than I had remembered, um, especially like last year. Um, I think we want to see him, yeah, be on the field and uh, impact the ball because he's shown that, you know, he can walk probably 10% of the time um, at least. And his walk percentage is still 17 and a half, which is what it was in AAA. So like, you know, he can maybe do that, but He's also striking out a lot, and he's not hitting for much power. He's hitting for league average power, uh, like raw power right, right now. So, you know, what that means is he's not hitting enough singles. Um, so I, I don't know. I do want to see him impact the ball more, hit for more like raw power, more home runs, um, at least get power. But he also needs to get on base more. And um, And by getting on base, I don't mean walks. I mean like, you know. Uh, hitting singles the other way, just um, you know, just getting that that average above two hundred five where it's it's currently at. So, I mean, I think it's the right move. I think that I would much rather see uh, Jake Fraley get some some run in these past couple weeks as opposed to Marmalejos, who is I think maybe. 29 or going on 29 um so i think that's a big thing is uh is hitting the ball harder and uh not striking out so much which will inevitably you know mean uh getting on base more Mm -hmm. i should point out he's also jake fraley i mean a capable defender i wouldn't describe him as plus necessarily but he's a capable defender and he's a better backup in center field than a lot of the other options we have yeah um did you did you see that much did you see that play in left field oh i did not i didn't watch the game last night he it was i think two days ago i don't even remember it's i'm i've repressed it he basically (laughs) like ran back on the ball and i think he had a lot of trouble picking the ball up which i don't really blame him for a lot of players in the the D-backs and um, uh, Red Sox series had trouble, I think. Uh, but he runs back towards the wall, and then you can see him start to 
to kind of find it. And he starts curving. Once he hits the warning track, he starts curving along the wall and kind of sprinting towards center field and just kind of eats it and falls <laughs> over. Uh, it was wow. a pretty bad looking play. Obviously isn't just like a bad route. It's something where he lost the ball um, in the sun or the lights. I think it was it was during the day still. Uh, so <laughs> uh, that does not do anything to um, strengthen strengthen our case that he's you know a competent fielder. But yeah, he's better in the field, and I think he's a better hitter too. So um, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what people want to see out of Marmo. He he can't really seem to hit, even though the projections think that he's somewhere around a league average hitter. Uh, he's not a good fielder. He's not a good base runner. I don't know what we want to see there. And he's he, also never had a particularly good streak in the majors. Um, he had like a 120 yeah. WRC plus for a about three weeks at a point last year and he's never looked that good since and he hasn't i want to say they gave him like 20 30 at bats coming back over this last duration here and he went like one or two for that so um it's not like they haven't given him no look at all it's just that he hasn't been a major league quality player and i don't think that's such a deal breaker but you know Jake Fraley is obviously more of a real prospect and probably does deserve that time all things considered um, I think that's probably enough. We should talking about Barbo, especially since he's not on the team anymore. And, um, he's just going to join the ranks of the great Mariners who only stuck around for, you know, a hundred or so plate appearances. Um, but there is some interesting stuff going on. I wanted to talk briefly about, I don't know if you got a chance to listen to Jerry on seven ten at all, or, um, John Stanton on 710 either. Did you get a chance to see either of those or read any of the blurbs? I didn't get a chance to um to hear uh but I did I think see a couple blurbs. Um but I'm interested to to hear what uh you know your kind of takeaways and and your summation of it. You know it was interesting. Um Jerry talked about how he is in direct communication with John every day. And that is a new thing. And he pointed out mm-hmm. that it wasn't that way in years past. And it's it's still like absolutely mind blowing to me to hear that the Mariners, an organization with all this money and, you know, all these players and a, a professional baseball team seemingly had what appears at this point to have been a major bottleneck at the top for years in terms of oh, decision making. It's just mm-hmm. very strange. Um, and so it's good. It's good to hear that John Stanton is, you know, talking directly with Jerry Depoto. They played a clip of Kelnick um, after he struck out against the Red Sox in that final game. Um, I don't know if you caught that at bat. It was kind of a felt very emblematic of Jared's seasons in a lot of way because uh, he went down 0-2, fouled off some touch pitches, got back to 3-2, and hit a, you know, a foul ball down the line that looked like it was going to be the game winner, um, and then ultimately struck out. And so they talked to him about kind of his process. And he mentioned, you know, almost pitch by pitch, the percentages of what he was expecting to get thrown, a slider versus a fastball or whatever. Um, interesting. It, I would encourage you to listen to it. I would encourage everyone to listen to it. It's really interesting to hear him kind of step by step go through his process. Because this is the thing we hear a lot of players like Mitch Hanniger talk about, but in a very general sense, you know, like I'm looking for pitches to hunt kind of a sense. Um, but Jared literally was giving like, you know, I, th- I think it was a 70% chance. I'm going to see a fastball here. I think a 60% chance slider here. 
And he even mentions that he struck out on a changeup that the guy threw less than 3% of the time, apparently, yeah. which is relevant, you know, like it's still a thing he throws, but it's interesting to hear the team be in <laughs> such alignment with a player f- philosophically like that. Um, mm-hmm. Does hearing that give you any hope for Jared? Because he's still really not playing better if we're being honest about it. I mean, yes and no. The thing from that game that I, I noted um, is he kind of brought back those, you know, t- uh, 2019 swing mechanics where he is a little more upright. He's got more movement in his hands. Uh, you know, like he's waving the bat and um, it's a lot more like vertical and then, and maybe I'm just misremembering, but when he gets into his load, it started to morph into more of his 2021 swing. And maybe, um, you know, maybe there's a reason for that. I think, I don't think he's accidentally morphing into this thing. I think that he thinks that there's something about that that swing that, you know, makes him better off. It's, it, it clearly seems to be more comfortable. So, um, in general, just from that game, I was more um, encouraged that he was going back to that because I think it's really good for his timing. And I, I, I really don't think that that big leg kick and and the like shoulder rock, whatever. I don't think that they're good for him, and I think the numbers support that. Um, I would have to go back and like you know chart at bats uh and you know categorize them into like 2019 swing 2021 swing so that's a a really you know convoluted way of saying i was really encouraged by you know he him continuing to tweak his swing to go back to that uh 2019 swing and and have success with that uh i think it's good that he's thinking about these things because uh, I think that they've got to help him be more confident. And I think that, uh, you know, he's, he has a better idea of what is to come. The only thing that would worry me is if he's getting too into his head, uh, kind of like Joe was saying, sit slider. Um, I think that's a really good approach against someone like Adam on because if you're looking for the fastball, <laughs> that that slider is going to destroy you. Uh, and if you're sitting slider, you can react fastball and foul them off. And that's kind of what he was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's I don't what actually... he said his plan was. For the record, that's really? specifically what he said his plan was. He said, my fans are my, my hands are fast enough to get to the fastball, yeah. and so I'm sitting slider, which is basically what you just said. A, a great approach. And uh, do you remember, was it the slider that he pulled down the line? Yes, I believe so. So, I mean, he did really well there. It just sucks that Adovino, uh, you know, went to that changeup because like Joe said, I don't even know if he throws at 1% of the time. It's it's so infrequently used. So it's just a, it's a bummer and um, literally a millisecond uh, later on a swing. And that's a walk-off double. Um, So... I'm so encouraged. I think, you know, what we want to see, it's what we want to see out of him is a good approach. And I think he showed a good approach and, um, you know, more, we want to see more doubles and home runs. Really. We, we just want to see him get on base more, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, he needs to I, hit. I think that's important. 
I, you just want to see him, you know, build some momentum before he goes into the off season. Uh, cause you know, it, it's gotta be a bad feeling to, to really struggle and then, you know, six months off. So, mm-hmm. um, I guess five, um, so that's even less four, <laughs> but that's, that's kind of my takeaway. I think, I think it's positive. I guess I'll be optimistic about that. I think, you know, everything you said is true and he's still 22. So, you know, we're mm-hmm. talking about other guys, his age, he's younger than Joe Rizzo, who is in double a for his second or third year and still not mm-hmm. hitting. Like it's just in, in terms of development, he's still so far ahead of the curve. It almost doesn't matter. But, you know, you said last week, he's been one of the worst 22 year olds to ever play the game. That is true. He's been spectacularly bad. Um, from a results perspective and there is a lot of process stuff to like like you know everything you just said and you know his response on the radio but it just sucks because having watched him so intently this year and this is anecdotal obviously but he hasn't had like a really big moment his big moment his signature moment so far this season is a walk-off walk um Mm -hmm. it isn't him hitting which is really strange and um it isn't for lack of chances because really it felt like almost every game over the past two weeks, he's had some kind of late inning situation, seventh, eighth, ninth inning with runners on where it was on him and he hasn't come through at all. So yeah. um, it's just it's been really hard. That, that game in particular was hard because it felt very tangibly like the Mariners season hung on it. Um, and it's rough because they gained six games on the wild card chase over the course of something like eight games prior to these two series and have lost another three. So um, just that yin and yang up and down roller coaster of the season has been really, really feeling it the last couple of weeks as fans. And I think the team as well, there was definitely some deflation after that, Um, but there is some stuff to be optimistic about. I was reading John's article this morning. I don't know if you got to take a peek at that um, about kind of the Mariners hitters and their top five and their bottom four and kind of how everybody stacks up. I wanted to talk a little bit about Toro because outside of Ty France, he's really the only Mariners hitter who's been above average, particularly in the second half. And since he got here, um, where do you see him playing defensively going forward, third base or second base? And do you think we've seen everything there is to see from his bat or is there more? Cause you've definitely spoken before about how you have a really high opinion of him as a hitter. What else is there to see? Yeah, I, I I think it depends on you know what the Mariners do in free agency. Obviously, uh, if they add a third baseman, you know, like if they add Chris Bryant, they're not going to like move Chris Bryant off of third. Um, I think that Toro is capable of playing both positions. Um, I mean, he has definitely not graded out super well. Um, as a second baseman, but he also hasn't had an off season with Perry Hill. And, um, you know, we know that Perry Hill can kind of work his, his infield, um, uh, coach magic. So I think his best spot is third base. Um, but I, I kind of think that he can do second base. He's not the most agile dude, but, um, as I've said before, I think just the way that his body is built, he he doesn't always look that good, you know, base running or uh, or fielding. But we also, you know, um, know that he's like a fast runner. 
So um, I, I think you, you hope that he's at third base. I think he can play um, a good third base, and I, I think he can hit. Um, so I think that's the hope. I, I do kind of think it's most likely that he ends up at second base, and with the nature of shifting nowadays, I think you can do a better job of hiding guys like Ty France or Toro. Uh, I do kind of think that Ty France continues at first base until Evan White shows that he can hit. Mm-hmm. Um, but for now, you know, Toro's really continued to hit. He hasn't knocked the cover off the ball. Um, but I mean, his numbers on the year are, are good and he, hasn't had huge stretches of being like a poor hitter. So I think right now we're looking at an above average hitter and uh, depending on where you put him, a below average to average fielder. And it should be stated that he's not bad on defense. He's more like average-ish to above average, maybe a tick below at times. Um, He does have a positive DRS, but relatively speaking, it's not very good. Mm -hmm. Um, But he's been fine, you know. I don't think he's appreciably that much worse than, say, Dylan Moore. And I think he is better than Shed Long, who still is here somewhere. Um, but it probably isn't going to play that much more for this team, all things considered. Um, Toro is pretty interesting. I think we talked a little bit about last week on the regular LL pod about Julio debuting. He continues to just absolutely tear it up in double A. Um I expected him to struggle a little bit in double A, like uh, just a little bit. You know what I mean? Not I didn't expect him to be really outclassed, but I also didn't necessarily expect him to hit 370. He's just been an absolute force in the minor leagues in general. Do you think that he's ready? And even his some of the projections kind of say he might put up just like, you know, an average ish line of the majors. Do you think he's ready for a look um, this year? Um. Again, like a little bit of a loaded question, but I I think to, you know, kind of boil it down, um, I think yes. I think that he would show some struggles. Uh, He, you know, in in 2020 in spring training, he looked pretty overmatched. Uh, And if I'm remembering, you know, correctly, in 2021, he looked a lot better. But if, if this is a player that you think has a chance of being on the team next year. And I think that he does have the chance. Uh, I think you should run him out for a couple weeks. Um, I mean, it is a little hard because normally his season would be over. That's not true because the minor league season started late. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I don't think there's a wrong answer. Um, and like you said, um, I actually didn't, know how how different the run environment is uh in double a for the mariners but he should not be doing this right now and he is uh 370 is outrageous in dickie stevens park like it's just it's outrageous yeah and and you could point to his 196 iso and say uh that isn't hitting for power but uh you know as whatever (laughs) yeah as we were just saying uh, it's really tough to hit for power. I think I think it's kind of a wind thing, uh, and and just the dimensions of the, uh, of the park. Yeah, but I, I think you give him some run, um, especially especially if you're trying to uh, 
uh, compete in the next, you know, if your window is 2022, 23, 24, um, I think you reward players for, for performing well. Um, we've talked a lot about how that might be dependent on a contract extension. Obviously he has not signed to one. So I don't think it's going to be a thing. And I think the things that I don't know what DePoto said, but I think the, the GM isms that he says as well, you know, we, we really want to give him time to, to really marinate down in the minor leagues and continue to hit well there. Uh, we don't want to do, you know, to have knee-jerk reactions to a player succeeding at double A. We don't want to, uh, we have an idea of what his development window is. We don't want to to toy with that. I'm sure that's, you know, near what he would say. Uh, but I think you can at least give him a couple weeks. I'd love to see him for a couple weeks. I think it would be a blast. Yeah. I agree that uh, I think probably not. I think Jerry's just the general language he's used has caged more towards no and more towards we're just going to run out Jake Fraley. And that's fine. We need to see more from Jake Fraley anyway. Um, but Julio would be all kinds of fun. I want to do um, a little wrapping up on the rookies. We have three guys this year who are pretty essential who debuted, and that's Logan, Cal, and Jared. And there's obviously a really wide disparity in the performance between those three. We have a starter who at moments this year looked like a rookie of the year candidate. We have, a, you know, the prospect we talked about already who's having one of the worst seasons to debut of all time. And we have a switch hitting catcher who has been pretty good despite struggling quite a bit. Um, let's start with Cal. Cal has he's still hitting below the Mendoza line, but mm-hmm. he's been hitting a little better over the past couple weeks. He had two doubles in that Arizona series at the game I went to on Saturday. I think you were there as well. This is when you met Paul Seawald. So fun. We can tie this all together. Um, but uh, what have you seen from Cal and what would you like to see from him over the next couple of weeks as far as at the plate in particular? It's so hard because we talk about this a lot, how the divide between the minor leagues and the major league, it's never been more desperate. He was raking at, you know, the minor league level. He was, he was, walking 7% of the time and striking out 13% of the time, that that's pretty good. It, it means he's putting the ball in play a lot. Uh, obviously, we didn't expect that to happen at the major league level, but I'm not sure a 37% strikeout rate is what I would have bargained um, for. Um, I mean, he just doesn't look good at the plate. Um, I think... I don't know how much he has to gain from going back to AAA. I think oftentimes it's it's a a um, a confidence thing, and yeah, maybe he he could use some of that. But I, I think uh, I think he's going to continue to struggle for the rest of the season. I think he's going to be able to take these experiences and and you know work on them over the off season but i mean i think that he's probably an a league average hitter at best and uh for a catcher that's fine um you know like i have talked about several several times he's a switch hitter and it's gonna take him uh, a while to get kind of acclimated to mlb and he's not even 25 yet 
so I mean, it's it's been pretty discouraging watching him. He he does not look good at the plate. Uh, but I do think brighter days are ahead for him. He just he 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 looks he looks pretty lost out there. Like he he looks like he's struggling. He is a rookie, that's for sure. And uh, yeah. gonna take some lumps is how it feels like it's gonna be. Um, mm-hmm. But let's let's talk about Logan because Logan has had kind of a stronger finish than his last month or so indicated. Um, have you seen any specific improvements or anything he's doing different to kind of get back on the horse? Because for a minute there, it looked like it was going to be a rocky end to his season, but he's really pulled it together. Yeah, um, he it's it's been weird. Like, you know, like you said, the he had a couple, you know, I guess road bumps or he had a couple games where uh he looked pretty not great um and i've seen some things that are encouraging and some things that you know aren't as encouraging uh but i i I think it's been nice to see his him toy with the slider and see you know what kind of shape is working best for him um he still hasn't shown much feel for for the changeup and the curveball and there, uh, I think there were a couple games and or times in this last game where he did, you know, land uh, the curveball in the strike zone, and that felt like surprising. Every time he kind of uncorks <laughs> uh, a curveball, I kind of expect it to sail. Um, so that's kind of encouraging. He's he's really gone away from the changeup, which is not so much because, like I've said, I I think it's his best pitch. Um, but in September, his slider has been, you know, uh, a 30 plus CSW pitch, which is good. Uh, so I think we're starting to see that continue to develop. Um, I think that he has a couple shapes for it, whereas he didn't so much, you know, before. Uh, he's really leaning on the fastball. And, you know, in September, he hasn't allowed a home run with that. Uh, so that's a plus, but he also hasn't, you know, thrown as many strikes with it. Um, so I'm really excited about 2021 Logan Gilbert. And I, I think everyone should be too. Um, I, I think there's a lot of work to do and I, it's really hard to not let, you know, these like a rookie season affect how you feel about players moving forward. But I would be lying if I said I felt, you know, as strongly about Logan Gilbert as I did, um, you know, before the season. You mean you're a little less excited about his upside, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, I I think a big thing that was talked about, you know, in scouting circles uh, before he came up was, whoa, this guy releases the ball, you know, like... He's got like seven feet extension. Uh, it, it feels like, you know, he's taking the ball and dropping it in the zone. Uh, it really gets on you. He's got great fastball ride. Um, and it just like it hasn't mattered. And, you know, he's he's struggled a lot to command all of his pitches. But um, I would really love to see him reshape his, his curveball and really hone in the command of that changeup because... I don't think he needs to have his best fastball as long as he has those secondaries and he hasn't had those secondaries yet. So um, I think the the slider has rounded out where I feel 
uh, better about that pitch because uh, I'm not, you know, much of a, a scout. But if I was to throw a grade on it coming into the season, I think I would call it a league average pitch, a 50 grade pitch. Um, I, I think it's flashed 55 more than than it did in the beginning of the season. So, um, I mean, a lot of this is command based. If you can command a pitch that, uh, you know, like a slider that's pitch characteristics aren't great um it's going to perform well like that's basically what patrick corbin does or did (laughs) i should say um so the command of the slider has generally speaking been better uh just needs to find you know his other two pitches interesting that's a lot to work with um and he strikes me as a guy who like you said the command is kind of is everything for him. And as that waxes and wanes over the course of this season, as we've watched, um, he's been better and worse. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if we've seen him in his final form just yet. I think we've seen him tinker a little bit in terms of pitch mix, in terms of how he attacks different lineups. um, And frankly, have good and bad days in terms of control as pitchers are prone to do. So uh, yeah, he's definitely exciting to watch going forward. And one of the more crucial Mariners in terms of how this is all going to play out. Um, on the pitching side, talk to me about Paul Seawald because um, you and Paul Seawald are BFS now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's see. Do you want me to talk about him actually pitching or meeting him? D- whatever you want to talk about. Tell okay. us about Paul Seawald. <sighs> um, let's see. So he's been a little shakier lately uh, in the past couple weeks, and I think that that is... I think it has a lot to do with his command. Um, his stuff. Uh, I don't know if you saw, I was having a conversation last night about this with a lot of people, but Max Bay posted his location plus and his stuff plus and uh, his fastball characteristics, it seems like have taken a bit of a setback. Um, the vertical approach angle isn't as good, but I also think that that has to do with his location um because if you're locating your fastball lower it's going to have a steeper angle into the zone um i know that that's not a super intuitive concept but it's essentially the three things that that go into a uh, vertical approach angle are are your arm slot um your release point and uh your ver- vertical fastball or vertical pitch location uh, he hasn't been elevating his fastball as much, and I don't think that he's been able to uh, locate as well. And I think he'll be fine, but I, I would be lying if I said I wasn't worried because I'm deeply <laughs> emotionally invested in this. But, um, I mean, at the end of the day, I think he's going to kind of grit through it. He's He's got, you know, a flat fastball and um, a really good slider. So it seems like... It seems like teams have also kind of game planned him. It's, you know, they kind of know what to look for more than they did back in, say, July, because he was kind of a newer guy. He wasn't pitching as in as many high leverage spots, but now he is. Um, so I, it kind of seems like it's kind of getting to him that he's pitched, I think, the second most games, the fourth most innings um he's already pitched twice the amount of innings that he's pitched in 2019 and 2020 combined 
I have yeah, a hard he time. hasn't thrown. He's thrown 53 innings this year. The last time he threw anything close to that was 2018. So it's yeah. been a while. So I imagine that's, you know, that's that's adding up. Uh, and, you know, he doesn't get that many days off because the Mariners, when they're in close, you know, games, they need him. They only have so many guys. Um, the front end of the bullpen isn't, you know, it's not so great. Mm-hmm. Uh and so, you're always in a pretty close game when your team scores three runs a game. Right. Yeah. So um, I don't know. I think it's something to watch. I, I I think what we're essentially looking for is with his fastball, if he's locating it up in the zone to his arm side, uh, which means that, you know, if you're watching a game, it's it's up and to the right uh, more, you know, than he's been doing lately. Uh, because that allows his his slider to sweep across the zone and and for hitters to to chase, or at least you know to swing and miss. Um, that's what I've been watching. He hasn't been doing it so much. He against the Red Sox. Um, I think he was really pounding fastballs like down and in, which I don't think is by design. And I think that the sliders were more on you know down and in a way. If we're speaking about lefties, um, so I just I, I think he's not commanding it right now, and that and that scares me, and and um, it's something to watch. But you know, in terms of next year, I think he'll be fine. I think it's just a more pressing, and you know, in the immediate future. Um, but yeah, I met him. Um, I tweeted, you know, uh, some you know a couple weeks ago, just. Saying how talking about how kids are a gift and how, you know, despite having suicidal ideations for like two weeks and, you know, having them more than I'd ever well, more than I'd had in a, a while, the only thing that kind of lifted me out of that was hanging out with a couple kids and and made me feel like light and, you know, better. And a lot of people were, you know, you know, showed me some love. Uh and it kind of blew up and that's not what i intended obviously it's not like an attention seeking thing i was more so to talk about how kids are the best um with you know my mental health as more of a side note and the next day he he followed me and tweeted at me and essentially said like you know we're um your mental health is important obviously from the replies uh you know it's clear that people really care about you. We're really proud of you for um, withstanding, you know, adversity, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, and just said to DM him and that he would send me a gift. And I was like, okay. Um, so I reached out to him and and he gave me kind of the choice of of mailing it or going to see him at a game and, and meeting up with him in person. And I was like, uh, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to go to the game. Um, and so he, we, we figured out a plan and, and I, I came down from Bellingham, uh, had a ton of traffic, but I finally got to the game, uh, kind of waved him down and he just like slowly came over and, and I saw him grab something and he's like, Hey man, uh, how's it going? I was like, yo, I'm sorry. I'm late. Worst traffic ever. Uh, it took me like two hours to get down from Bellingham, but he's like, you know, don't worry about it. You're here. Um, and just said like, 
you know, like, uh, thanks for being a supporter. I just wanted to give you a little something. Here you go. And it, it was just a lot. I don't like to put people on a pedestal because they're just people and uh, being good at baseball is like really cool, but it's, you know, it doesn't, it's just kind of a weird thing to, um, for lack of a better term to put someone on a pedestal. So, uh, I didn't really know how to react. I kind of froze up and I was like, thanks man. Have a, have a good game. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but it was super cool. And I I was kind of kicking myself because, um, Shay, uh, Weintraub, who, uh, is another Mariners fan. I was at the game with her and she was like, that was so crazy. Why didn't you get a picture? And I was like, crap, I didn't even think about it. I froze up. Uh, so I was, you know, kind of disappointed that I didn't do that. And then right when I got home, I lime scootered home, uh, plopped down on the couch, was talking to my roommate within two minutes. I got a DM from him and he's like, I'm a bozo, uh, forgot to get a picture with you. So, you know, come back, um, get, get a picture. Um, you know, like we'll do it again. Uh, just the nicest dude ever. Um, so I'm excited to go do that again. Um, I'm excited to see him, you know, continue to shove. But that was very, very surreal. <laughs> and I'm glad that, you know, I get a get a picture with him too. I also saw Brittany uh, Bush Bale got a picture with him in her, what is it? This is my Paul Seawald shirt. That's what it says. You know, my big takeaway, not from your escapades, but from all of this has been that Paul Seawald must just be having a blast because, you know, no offense to Paul Seawald, but coming from the Mets, he wasn't a particularly heralded Mets pitcher or player in any context. So having all these fans come out of the woodwork who are have their Twitter handles named after him and have, you know, like Paul Seawald shirts and stuff, I'm sure is a relatively new experience for him. I don't think that was happening elsewhere. So I'm happy to see him just really, you know, connecting with people with, with Mariners fans. This is cool. I'm sure for him, uh, it's great for you guys. Paul Seawald noted good guy and mental health advocate. Paul Seawald. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, he's like truly, uh, just the most wholesome, sweetest dude. Like, um, I don't know. I, I, I've been a Mariners fan, you know, literally since as far as I can remember. And it's by far the coolest thing that's ever happened to me. Um, You know, he's my favorite Mariner. And I haven't really, I was thinking about it, I think last night, I haven't ever really loved a player, you know, this much since like Dustin Ackley, who, you know, obviously kind (laughs) of let me down. Um, But I just haven't like felt this, I guess, not to be sappy, but like emotionally attached to a player and how they do since then. So, I mean, it kind of makes me feel like a kid again. Being Um, attached to a relief pitcher is a dangerous game, my friend. It is a dangerous game. uh, (laughs) Honestly, um, I care how he does, but you know, it's if he struggles and if this is the best year of his life, if, uh, you know, if he becomes a middle relief pitcher after this, I'm, I'm going to, you know, be a Paul Seawald fan for the rest of my life. So if you'd like to join the Paul Seawald Appreciation Club, hit me up on Twitter. There's a Google Doc sheet <laughs> that you can <laughs> search. 
<laughs> Paul and, Seawald uh, is probably like a good season away from being a Mariners like local legend too. He's already sort of in that discussion. As far as I'm concerned, he already is. Yeah. So well, you heard it here first, folks. Um, how don't we tie this together? Because you wrote an article about someone, another Mariners relief pitcher who is doing a Paul Seawald impression was what you wrote. He sure is. Uh, Johan Ramirez is uh, is flashing this Paul Seawald thing. Uh, that was that was the article title that I wrote up. Um, and it's it's pretty crazy. He had the highest walk percentage in MLB last year at 21.3%. That's really high. Um, I think anytime a pitcher's walk percentage eclipses 10, it's like, you know, you need to strike out at least 30% of guys or else like this doesn't work. Um, it gets shaky once you get to like 15%. So to, to, to walk 21% is like, this is not tenable. Um, like we, we, we can't do this. Um, he had a little bit of that minor league flair where he would just occasionally, you know, like bork one and throw it all the way over the catcher and over the umpire to the backstop. That was like, yeah, part of his repertoire was the fear because he didn't have the command. So you had to wonder where it was going to go. Yeah. No one knew where it was going. Um, and he, you know, he had good stuff before, um, he had a good slider. He had a good fastball. It's just that um, I think he's really, if he's not throwing, you know, uh, um, a high efficiency fastball, this is this is the thing that he should be going for. Um, so to kind of, you know, explain why Paul Seawald is good, he throws a really low efficiency fastball and he throws it from a really low slot. So because he does that, because of his gyro fastball, it's really have heavy and gyroscopic spin. He gives the look of someone who throws from like a one 15, like on a clock um, arm slot, but he's throwing from way lower. And that's really hard for, for hitters. Um, it, it's essentially he's giving them, a look that is incongruent with his arm slot, um, which is probably uh, probably somewhere in between like two thirty and and like towards three, um, and that's really hard. So because of his gyro spin and because on the way to the plate, his the ver- the tilt of his fastball tilts vertically, uh, it. In a very different way, it um, it kind of prevents his fastball from falling in the way that the Magnus Force of a high efficiency fastball does. So his fastball characteristics look bad if you look at like baseball savant and look at his like uh, vertical um, pitch movement. It's like negative eighteen, and normally pitch pitchers with good Fastball right are at like negative 13. So it looks really bad, but he has a really good vertical approach angle, which as I you know was talking about earlier, it means that his fastball is entering the zone really at a really flat angle, which is hard for hitters to hit, especially up in the zone. So Paul Seawald, what he did this year 
was he lowered his arm slot, which I think I'm actually going to ask him when I see him in person again, which I think was intentional. Uh, he added gyro spin to his fastball, which is good from a low slot. It's I think kind of a, a new wave. Um, and he started throwing up in arm side more. All three of these things are good for vertical approach angle, and he he did those things. So, so as not to speak about Paul Seawald for 20 straight minutes, Johan Ramirez did these same things, and now his his spin profile at release and at plate at the plate um, looks the same as Paul Seawald. Not identical, but it looks really similar. So he's got more active spin or spin efficiency on his fastball, uh, and he throws from a higher slot than Seawald, but their pitch characteristics in terms of spin are really similar, and that has helped him miss more bats with his fastball and his slider. Um, Their pitch movement is like really, really similar. An added um, kind of side effect is that Scott Service was saying the new arm slot, lowering the arm slot, has helped him get the ball in the zone more. And I don't, like, I think people call him like a 30-grade um, command guy at best. And I think that's evident from, you know, 2020. Um, he still might be somewhere around there, but his control is much improved. Like I, I, I think as he throws in the zone, uh, more often than league average. So, um, you know, it's, it's much better than 30 grade. Uh, that is really good for, his strikeout rate because he's throwing in the zone more and yet hitters are swinging through balls more too and swinging more. Um, but I, it's obviously good for his walk percentage, which, you know, has dropped significantly. Um, I think that alone gives him the look of someone who can pitch in higher level, higher leverage and later innings. But he still doesn't have good command. Like, Paul Seawald can command his pitches a lot of the time, especially, you know, before September. Um, That's not true of Ramirez. He can get the ball in the zone, but I I still think he struggles a little bit to to put the ball where uh, he wants to. And we saw that with Alex Verdugo the other day where uh, Cal Raleigh, you know, asked for the ball at the bottom of the zone uh, to his glove side. He didn't get it there. He left it up and Verdugo Verdugo didn't, you know, take it way out, but he got it over the fence. So I think that's kind of the last hurdle um, for Ramirez is he can limit walks enough. He strikes guys out enough. The last component of FIP or FIP is home runs. He needs to be able to limit those. Um, I th- I mean, if you look at his FIP right now, it's really elevated. That's because of the home runs. It looks like he has a home run problem, but I'm, I'm just not convinced by that. I think he, um, I think it's just kind of noise and and kind of bad luck. So maybe you know his home run rate will be more elevated, but I I wouldn't say that he has a home run problem per se. So um, I'm excited about Johan Ramirez in a way that I haven't been before. It's a lot. Um, so I recommend. Much. I'd recommend everybody <laughs> read the article. It's really good. There are graphs in it that are convincing. Um, it's it's good. Uh, you know, your articles are always good and well considered, and uh, it's good stuff. 
And Johan has always been interesting because he throws really hard. And he's one of those guys where if he had the command and the control, he would be one of the elite pitchers in the league. Um, but he does it. So he becomes one of the more interesting ones by default almost. Um, yeah. Matthew Robertson once uh, described him as pitching in all caps. <laughs> yes. Yes. I would uh, I would echo that. He's uh, yeah. He's fun to watch because when he's good, he's unhittable. And when he's bad, he's also unhittable, but he doesn't throw strikes. So it's a different kind of effect. And uh, I don't know. I, I've always kind of liked Johan. A lot of teams have a Johan, which is a guy who could throw right. gas and can't locate it somewhere in the back of the pen. Um, mm-hmm. And if the Mariners have any kind of real system or methodology that is turning guys like that into good pitchers, um, that's exciting. And it's cool when you say he's kind of mirroring some of the Paul Seawall changes because we know that Paul Seawald even said himself that he came to the Mariners kind of looking to see what they would have changed for him and to improve him. So this does seem like kind of um, in-house cooking, so to speak, and thing, right. changes the Mariners are making to their own players. Yeah, um, agreed. That's all pretty exciting. Uh, do you have anything else for us this week, Mike? Uh, let's see. I don't know, man. I'm just uh, I'm just excited to see the kids play and excited to meet. Paul Seawald, uh, I guess, again, <laughs> see him again and, and ask him some questions about pitching. <laughs> yeah, you'll have to. Now that you guys are, are close friends, you'll have to get a little more familiar and ask him some deeper questions. Yeah, we'll see. But uh, yeah, it's been uh, it's been a really fun year for us. Obviously, there's been uh, at all of the different podcasts that both you and I are a part of. There's been some changes, some turnover and the barriers have overperformed and been kind of a really interesting team sort of out of nowhere. Um, and wrapping up this year, it's uh, it's been a good time. And the fact that we get to kind of talk about Mariners being semi-relevant in the the wild card or any kind of a postseason confrontation or conversation conversation, um, the second week in September is kind of a big deal. So um, it's been pretty cool. So yeah, I'm Evan, and you can find me on Twitter at Evan James Audio. You can find Mikey at Dis Thy Mikey. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts, wherever you stream. Uh, additionally, please support the podcast on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash neversunny in Seattle. And uh, go Mariners and uh, have fun watching the kids for the next couple of weeks because it's going to be different next year. <laughs> <laughs>